Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Alas, the run came to an end, with the latest James Bond film released only last year. Would this be the end of James Bond? In No Time to Die. Part 2. Just give me a name. Madeleine? Oh, please, just... Please. No games. Madeleine? But you know what? Two of you should come see me. A little couple's therapy. I simply have to see your face when she tells you the truth. Just tell me who they are, Blofeld. And then I'll I'll leave. I'll I'll leave you on your own. No, I I don't want you to leave. We're just getting reacquainted. All right, come. You were unusually patient. I need to give you something so that you didn't have to make all this way for nothing. Careful, Bond. It was me. You destroyed Spectre. <clears throat> no. Vesper's grave. Madeleine didn't do a thing. It was all me. I knew you'd come visit it. I just needed to wait for the bon moment. She led you straight there from the goodness of her heart. And then you left her for me. It doesn't matter. No, but it does. She still does, doesn't she? My poor little cuckoo. You were always so very, very sensitive. This isn't working. Keep going. All this wasted time. 
the life you could have had. And the reason all of this is so beautiful, so exquisitely beautiful, is that you're coming to me looking for answers. Whereas the one person who knows it all is she. It's Madeleine. She holds the secrets you need, all of them. I didn't need to kill you. I'd already broken you. I wanted to give you an empty world. Like the one you gave me. It's enough to almost make me regret it. Almost. I know how to interrogate an asset. This interrogation is over. Turn up! Don't lecture me! Bond, you have violated the most important rule in the whole bloody playbook. I think it's fair to call No Time to Die one of the most controversial and divisive films in the entire franchise. I'm aware that quite a few people consider it to be one of the absolute worst entries and the, the complete nadir. For me, I find that quite an interesting statement because... In my opinion, it seems like much of the, the controversy and people's issues with the film really relate exclusively to the final act and either how they feel about the decision of killing James Bond in its entirety or how the filmmakers chose to go about killing the main character. To me, I find this quite shocking um, because I find No Time to Die to be an exceptionally well-made piece of work with some truly fabulous direction and production design. Um, I also find it quite bizarre because I think there are probably a handful of entries in the franchise which you could argue has objectively bad uh, filmmaking techniques uh, or has some, some editing which is, is questionable. And I can see why that might put someone off. Uh, Quantum of Solace, for example, a lot, of been, a lot has been said about the way that the chases and the action sequences have been filmed and, and edited. I can understand why that would put someone off. With No Time to Die, this is a truly gorgeous piece of work with most of the issues, at least to my mind, seeming to, to be stemming from, from the, the final act. But I think it's unfair to then claim that this is, is the worst entry in the entire franchise, purely because of how you, you personally feel about those, those final moments. It doesn't have to be your favourite, and I can, I can certainly understand that and appreciate that. But I don't think it's fair to condemn the film as a, as a sloppy or poorly made piece of work. How do I personally feel about the decision to not only kill James Bond, but literally eviscerate him in a ball of flame? I quite like it. To me, it showed a real desire to still be fresh, interesting, to take risks. It felt like a dangerous decision to make. It was never going to be liked. It was never going to be appreciated by everyone. It was always going to be divisive. But I like that Michael Wilson and Barbara Broccoli still took the initiative to make that choice and to, to kill off the hero, really opening the door to a brand new chapter, which is incredibly exciting. We're in a really exciting time for the franchise. 
Of course, I understand that some people find that the way and the decision making in which that leads to to Bond having to die, I can understand that the argument that that is muddled and it 100% is. A lot happens in a very small space of time and perhaps the motivations for why he he has to die, they're perhaps not, not clear. And I, I do understand that. For me, it worked, but I can see that it perhaps just doesn't for other people. It is a very muddled final act, which is a shame because I think it slightly takes away um, from what is a, a really dangerous and brave filmmaking choice. I really appreciated the heavy emphasis um, in the film on on emotion and in, in Craig's Bond's emotional journey. He talks a lot more freely about his feelings in this film and this feels like natural progression of the character um, from when we first see him in Casino and he's he's far more restrained, doesn't deal with his his feelings in, in an open manner. Um, he keeps them, them bottled up. I think the perceived trail of Madeline um, at the start of the film is an incredibly powerful moment and we see why he immediately cuts her off because this will be the the second time that he has faced um, betrayal of this magnitude following Vesper and also the the second time that he is denied happiness. His death at the end of the film to me was very poignant because this would have been the the third time that he would have been denied a happy ending. And so walking out into the sunset and see, saying his goodbye, I found it quite, quite poignant and, and upsetting. And I really appreciated the rest of the film for not shying away from, from these emotional um, aspects. I also really appreciated that the film's emotional weight is not simply relegated to scenes of characters talking and actually feeds into and really helps a lot of the action sequences. I think it can be argued that in the majority of Bond films, when you're watching a, a chase sequence or a large kind of stunt sequence, you really are watching it for the stunt and the chase. There is no real weight for the characters. You know that um, James Bond is most likely going to be okay uh, at the end of this. In No Time to Die, really probably only with the exception of, of the Cuba sequence, which is this this fun, big, fantastic moment. Um, and I really understand why people really love that. A lot of the other action sequences have an emotional underpinning, which really adds a weight to them. I think the most obvious example is the the sequence in Norway and the and the chase. The fact that Bond's child is in the car. I as an audience member did not want this child to be hurt. I was edge of my seat first time viewing it. There was something in the pit of my stomach, a nervousness that I don't get in Bond films that I find I found that quite quite distressing. I wasn't sure where they were going to go. Like could she be hurt? Could she even die? I found that a, a genuinely a different experience to probably any other Bond film. I think a similar thing can be said of, of, of the start of the film and the pre-title sequence. The betrayal of Madeline comes out during this big action set piece. If you compare the pre-title sequence in No Time to Die to the car chase between Bond and Hinks in Spectre, both are interrupted with, with a phone call. In Spectre, this really diffused any, any tension for me. The phone call was mostly, there was exposition, there was a couple of jokes with Money Penny. It felt unnecessary, it felt like it really just sapped any energy from the sequence. In Known Time to Die, the phone call from um, Christoph Waltz 
Blofeld actually added a lot more, more weight to this this sequence because not only is Bond trying to escape from this just this barrage of, of villains um, in cars and motorcycles, machine gunning him, but he's having to do it whilst he is personally literally undergoing in front of her eyes um, a level of emotional trauma. And I found that that quite up, upsetting, and it, it really helped both the the emotional character arc and, and this moment it gave weight to it because there's a there's a physical danger but it also gave weight to physical danger because there was an emotional danger there was emotional distress happening happening to bond and we know how we know what betrayal means to him at this point in craig's filmography despite the the darkness then throughout the film i did really appreciate the return to a slightly more fantastical plot and a slightly larger, larger than life element, um, some of which draws directly from from Fleming. The Poison Garden in You Only Live Twice um, is one of my my most wanted um, pieces of unadapted Fleming work. I really wanted that to be used in the film. I have to say that I was a bit disappointed um, in in how it was portrayed, but I liked that they they were drawing from these more fantastical elements. And we have, again, a, a island lair, and I, I really appreciated the design of Safin's base and the way that it, it called back to, to Dr. No. I appreciate, again, that people have, have issues with Safin um, and how he's portrayed, the, the lack of motivation or the slightly muddled motivation. Again, I, it didn't bother me too much. I think in the same way that The Spy Who Loved Me seems to move the focus onto bond and anya's relationship and stromberg is is given a bit of less focus he really is there as more of a a plot point although i actually really enjoy kurt jurgen's performance and I'm a, I'm a big defender of stromberg but he is there really more as a catalyst um and the film's emotional kind of center is bond and, and anya I, I think the same can be said with this film. I think Safin is there really to push the plot along and to give to give threat, both in terms of a kind of a, we need a, a Bondian plot, but also the personal threat he poses to to Bond's family. That said, Stromberg's motivation, despite being loose, is certainly it is stated far more clearly. And so I, I do concede that but just even a, a few lines of dialogue from Remy Malik, just giving him a bit of a motivation would have perhaps have, have helped the, the final act uh, uh, just a little bit more. Talking about the, the return to a more fantastical approach then, I really appreciated the way that Spectre were portrayed in this film. The sequence in Cuba, again, I'm aware that it, it, it gets a lot of love and it, it is a truly standout moment in the film. But of course, Blofeld's bionic eye on a um, being carried around on, on, on a cushion. These are, these are slightly camp moments, but I really appreciated them, a return to this slightly more spy-fi take on a Bond film. Blofeld, again, even the, the way that, that he is portrayed, especially when compared to, to Spectre, I really liked that they seem to nail the character quite well in that the reason I think Blofeld is, is remembered as Bond's kind of main adversary, despite the fact that every single different portrayal of him seems to be an entirely different take and there doesn't seem to be one, one through line. It does mostly weigh the A, that he's, he's head of Spectre, but B, the fact that he is responsible for the death of Bond's wife, Tracy. And so him being 
behind this this plot to kind of get in Bond's head and um, deny him him Madeline and just completely trick trick Bond into believing this. It felt very true to the character in that Blofeld is is his adversary because he's the one who makes it personal more than any other villain. Blofeld is the one who who gets gets inside Bond's head, and so despite Christoph Waltz's lack of of screen time, the fact that he isn't the main the main villain of the film, it felt like a, a, a far truer portrayal of that character than we got in in Spectre. In fact, after Spectre, which is a film. I really don't harbour a lot of love for. There's the obvious things, the the whole uh, Brofeld plot development, but I also felt that it, it just felt dull, tired. It, it lacked an edge. I can understand the enjoyment some people had in returning to a kind of more traditional Bond film, but there was there was no pace or excitement to any of the action sequences for me, and too many moments in the film seemed to be riffing on sequences from from classic. Bond films instead of pushing the franchise into to new and exciting territory but still giving a wink and a smile to the past and that was what No Time to Die was for me in many ways that there were loads of elements which drew from from classic Bond films from 60s Bond my, my preferred era but it still pushed the franchise into really new and exciting dangerous territory it showed that michael wilson barbara broccoli and the rest of the team are prepared to take risks and to do things with this franchise 25 films in and 60 years later which will keep an audience coming back to it which will keep it fresh and allow it to find a new audience i understand why no time to die is a very controversial film and i appreciate that for me it's it's my second favorite Craig film and I don't think it's it's far outside my my top 10 perhaps perhaps a little further down than that but I think it's a really astounding film and a really brave film it's not perfect it has a lot of problems but it's a film that I really think deserves a second chance um, and I really hope that in a, in a few years time it gets the reappraisal and re- reassessment that I truly think it deserves so I'm back um, back home it's midnight quite late so there was only two people in the cinema, including myself. Um, a couple of people actually left at the end of the pre-title, which is very strange. My feelings on it haven't changed that much. I think it is quite a, a long movie, where Quantum gets a hard time for being very fast-paced and hectic. There is the opposite to that, where films can spend far too much time in settings and situations that probably don't justify that much screen time and even the island section it's not really that exciting uh, the setting itself with the grey concrete walls it's not a very stimulating staging for the the final act of a Craig movie so I think they relied a little bit too much on the presumption that the audience is going to be completely into this and and kind of forgot about the whole art of telling a, a good story. In relation to the taboos that the film breaks with regards Bond having a daughter and obviously his, his death at the end of the picture, I think it's a natural extension of what his time was in the role. But for people who really hated it, I would say that you know they've done it now. So that kind of somewhat forces the filmmakers to perhaps move into new territory so come to the end of the Daniel Craig era and the Daniel Craig era has always been a very 
bold and stimulating era and I got excited about going to see a Bond movie again and it's odd like when I first saw it and, and obviously the last few minutes of him hobbling towards the ladder and climbing up uh, it did get me a bit um, because it's been certainly 15 years of my life and and with any film it kind of becomes a little bit of a, a peg for you to hang memories and where you were in your life at that time and when I went to see it on the 8th of October 2021 I, I went to see it with my dad uh, it was our first movie uh, after the pandemic so it was very uh, very special kind of emotional night for, for lots of different reasons but as well as that it was the final Daniel Craig Bond movie my mum became a huge Daniel Craig fan when he became James Bond and sadly she passed away in 2015 and certainly when I went to see No Time to Die I was thinking about her uh, I missed her and I was thinking about what she would have thought of it all but I'm very very grateful of all the other great memories and enjoyment that she got out of watching his movies although she wasn't much of a fan of Quantum I have to say so that's the end of the Daniel Craig era and just want to take the opportunity to say a big thank you to Tom and everyone at Really 007 for uh, keeping this going over the past 25 weeks fair play to you look forward to doing it again at the 70th where we'll probably only be talking about maybe I'd say one extra movie the way things are going and Harry Styles will be the new James Bond frightening I know but it could happen yes considerably yeah, now I've come here to find out who, who gave you the poison but I'm not going to leave here without you knowing that I have loved you and I will love you and I do not regret a single moment of my life that led me to you. Except when I put you on that train. Do you know the worst thing about you? My timing. sense of humor. Don't. What? You look... You look incredible. Foster here. Saw uh, No Time to Die at the Odeon Derby last night. It must be about the fourth time I've seen it now and I must say I really enjoyed it. The gun barrel comes on, I've got no problem with that at all, even though the universal world turning into the gun barrel and then the overlaying dots to become the proper gun barrel looks a bit jerky and I'm just glad that the actual Blu-ray copy isn't that and it is the normal gun barrel. Enjoyed the, the Austrian part of the pre-title, very very creepy. An interesting thing I did see recently was that the uh, actress's 
name who plays uh, Madeline's mother is named Mathilde Bourbon. So whether they got the Mathilde from her name to use it as Bond and Madeline's daughter. No, yes, very, very creepy scene. I can't understand after killing Madeline's mother and is after Mr. White, Madeline falls into the ice and he saves her. I can't understand why I just didn't let her die. But anyhow, he didn't. So, and, and also, who looks after Madeline uh, lead up to adulthood. Yeah, then we get on to Matera, which I think is my absolute favourite part of the film, which is enhanced because I did visit there. We got there four days after filming had finished. So I actually saw the room that Bond and Madeline stay in. It's on a huge amount of scaffolding and I got to um, see it just just um, behind. You can't get in front because obviously it's the big drop. But uh, I did get some good photos of the them when they were just starting to dismantle it. Anyway, the uh, the rest of the... I know there was a, quite a few more scenes actually shot in Matera because I've seen scenes of the Aston Martin in different locations in the town that didn't end up in the final cut. And also what has always puzzled me from seeing those photos is in the square where Bond uh, is Bond in, in the car is uh, trapped and then he gets out of it by using all of his weapons with the donut and the smoke. There's a heap of charred, what looks like chairs or tables and I've never seen anything of what was filmed there. I don't know what that was at all. Anyway, we get to the, uh, the, the titles, uh, which I think are very good. Daniel Kleiman comes, pulls out the trumps again. I do like the Billie Eilish uh, track. I think it's a very competent song, very moody. Then we get to the rest of the film, where I think it drops slightly. There's this plot uh, that you ultimately find out that M knew about, which it seems a little bit naive of him to... To, to, to sanction it, knowing how easy criminals seem to be able to take over technology nowadays. Characters are all pretty good. The uh, Obrachov is a very unlikable scientist, which gets his just desserts later on at the uh, hands of Nomi, who, again, while I'm mentioning her, uh, Nomi Lashana Lynch, I think she's a great character. She played off very well with Bond. I absolutely love the scene when Bond is brought back into MI6 as a double O and she keeps trying to find out which double O number uh, she is being assigned, which I thought was extremely funny. Primo as Cyclops, he appears nearly all through the film just as a, a henchman with obviously the gadget of the eye. Bond returns to Jamaica and then he gets called back by Felix who I think it obviously shows they play off very well together Daniel Craig and Jeffrey Wright uh, Billy Magnuson as Logan Ash very sneaky sly character who I think you you know he's going to end up on the wrong side of Bond and obviously lets the the jeep fall on him to kill him because he's it was him that single-handedly killed Felix Leiter. I couldn't understand why 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 an organisation like Spectre 
would have every single one of its members congregated in one room which would ultimately tempt somebody to kill the lot of them like they did obviously apart from Blofeld couldn't quite understand why they would ever do that but anyway Cuba fantastic set that I know was built at, on the back lot at Pinewood Anna de Armas's character is absolutely fabulous as Paloma very very kooky character very looks like very naive but she knows what she's doing uh, plays very well off uh, off Craig again criminally underused we could have seen a bit more of her if not I mean if, if Craig's Bond hadn't died I'm sure we would have seen her again possibly in in a future film but uh, you never know she might and it might pop up in in the new actors tenure anyway we shall see yeah Christoph Waltz again was criminally underused as Blofeld just using him like as a Hannibal Lecter kind of character in in prison ultimately we get to Safin's lair I mean I, I couldn't understand what the the, the the acid water was how come they were able to stand in it with these rubber suits yet as soon as anybody fell in it it uh, it, it Killed him, basically. Safin's obvious plot with the chemicals. Why would he ultimately want to have the ability to kill all of the population of the world? Which is what I think they were getting at. I could understand him being against Spectre because Mr. White, as we now found out, worked for Spectre, even though it was quantum, killed Safin's family. And that's why he was after them. And again, that brings me back to why didn't he kill Madeline? Then he got to the end. Um, so uh, I think this is the first time that I've actually seen Craig's Bond's death and been quite at peace with it. I've been upset by it. I've been annoyed by it. It's made me really mad. But now seeing it last night, I was quite at peace with it. I knew it was coming. Yeah, I thought it was quite a good way for him to die if, if that's the way that they... Well, I know Craig put it into his contract that he wanted him to die. But you would have still, he'd have, still think he'd have tried to get away. But anyway, um, that's how they finished it. So yes, I they, watching it last night, I think it has gone up quite a few notches on my uh, rec my favourite films. It, it had slipped right down, but it's come back up again. So yes, I'll uh, enjoy hearing what everybody else thinks about it. Hi, it's Rob here from the Really 007 podcast, and it's time to talk about No Time to Die. Has a year softened the horror? No. Am I still sad about it a year on? Very much so. Watching it again, I'm thrilled, frankly, with how it looks and sounds and have absolutely no quibble at all with that. But then again, for a movie that cost hundreds of millions of dollars, it jolly well should do. But never mind all that. What we really needed was a story and a script that we could hang on to and believe in. And this is where I just cannot get on board with this film. It gleefully manipulates you into thinking that this soap opera melodrama is worth something, but it is wholly unearned and falls so flat and empty. How can we be expected to care for any of these people when the very reason for their existence seems to have been thrown together with scribblings on the back of a postcard? Two words I just used, in, used there, 
are manipulation and unearned and that is this film to a T. It seeks so hard to manipulate us into caring about characters and situations using callbacks to the history of this wonderful franchise and again they haven't earned the right to do that. Just because it's got James Bond written on it doesn't mean you can use the audience in this way, this loyal audience, this massive loyal fan base and treat them like dummies. Why should we care that James Bond loves Madeline Swan? Their relationship is thinly drawn at best. There is absolutely nothing between them. Bond throws her away and bungs her on a train because he has a wobble. This is after that PTS sequence which somehow appears to have gone down in history as one of the greatest pre-credit sequences. When in fact it's about... I mean, it's woefully signposted, dumbly written nonsense. Bond throws this woman away after professing his love to her and his happiness and all this. But at the slightest hint um, of his own anxiety, really, he decides, boom, I'm going to, you know... And he's not a gentleman here. Let's not get that straight. He's throwing her around a hotel room. And then this moment that seems to get lauded as one of the great Fleming moments, woof. He just, he tortures her. Mentally tortures her. To call this moment abusive is actually doing him a favour. Um, then, wham, he, you know, bungs, bungs her on a train, out of here. It, it's desperate. It's desperate for you to care, but it hasn't earned a thing of it. Um, we go to Cuba. Cuba is lovely. And I think this is Craig's best... You know, this bit here is the best half an hour he's ever had as, as James Bond. I think it's great. And that said, this shining moment in this is Anna de Armas. She comes out of this wonderfully, along with uh, Ben Whishaw. The, the film progresses from there, and it becomes so signposted and obvious that, oh, we're on our way to tragedy. You know, there's ca iconic characters wasted everywhere. Blofeld, forget about it. They're all thrown... And, and tossed into the wind of the producers and stars' desire for this to be something more classed closer to high art than, again, they've earned. What they've done to M in this movie is <laughs> it's a sacrilege, to be honest, and a complete joke. And then we, we... I'm not going to waste any more time. We get to this business at the base. Now, this could have been just brilliant. It's got... A lot of great James Bond iconography. Hey, the baddie's got a big lair. This is awesome. And again, if you want us to care what happens there, you have to earn it. And this is where we fall flat. Not only does James Bond... I mean, let's call it what it is. James Bond goes and tops himself here. Because why? Why? Why does he top himself? Let's call it what it is. That's what it is. He kills himself. Why? And I still don't know why. And the fact that a character like James Bond would be so badly written that he has to top himself to try to deliver some kind of emotional grandstanding denouement for, let's face it, the star and the people behind the movie. And we're all just left scratching our heads. And I have to be honest, the deep sense of betrayal is still there. They killed James Bond. For what? A transparent attempt at something. They seem to think they're owed. And it feels trash. It feels... I feel used. I feel like 
they've taken all my love and everyone else's love for this and just shoved it in my face. And I know a lot of people were thinking, oh, look, here he is, just another whinging Bond fan who didn't get what he wanted, boo-hoo. Fine, it's fair enough, we're all entitled to our opinions. It's all good, no, no sweat by me. But I cannot see the logic of thinking that this was a good move, a respectful move, and the right move for the franchise. And then you look at why these decisions were made. Why were they made? Why did they kill James Bond? Who was behind that? And then all you really need to do for me is look at the incredible, manipulative, transparent Oscar campaign. These sycophantic interviews that went on for weeks around the release of the Oscar lists. And then they dried up as soon as the Oscar lists were released and a certain name wasn't on it. You just couldn't look more transparent if you tried. This seems like, for me, this was a whole exercise to try and give the star an Oscar. Might be wrong, but it's just my opinion. And it just makes me feel sick, really, that we've been used in this way. They killed our character, our favourite character, and they killed the franchise with it. Because, at the moment, the franchise is dead, isn't it? I know they say James Bond will return, but it's all dead. In the 60th year, for what? An attempt, a callous, transparent attempt to win some prizes. And it just makes me feel sick, really. I adore this franchise, and I need to make that very clear. Absolutely adore it. And really look forward to Bond 26. I've loved seeing all these in the cinema, and I really look forward to seeing the next one in the cinema. And I absolutely can't wait. But I'm sad to say that No Time to Die is, for me, a molten circle jerk of a movie that takes its audience and its fans for granted in the quest for some unearned higher meaning. And it's a massive no. <laughs> in case you haven't worked that out in eight minutes. Thanks very much. Hey, and these are just opinions. They're just my opinions. I respect everyone else's opinions. Peace and love. Nice moves, Bond. You won't be able to stop him. So why don't you help me out, brother? I had a brother. His name was Felix Leiter. So it's John here, and I have just watched No Time to Die. My wife is in the room while I'm recording this thoughts with a big smirk on her face because she's managed to see all my facial reactions over the last 2 hours 45 minutes. Uh, you've all heard my rants before, you've all seen my Twitter rants about No Time to Die and I'm not being like melodramatic when I say it was actually a real effort to watch this film today when you have a Sunday night and you know you want to relax watching no time to die is not relaxation it's the fourth time i've seen this film i wanted to go in with it with an open mind see what maybe i've been harsh on it what's hyperbole on my part what is reasoned and i think i've got a clear view of what i think firstly i'm going to go with the positives i think the direction and the editing and the cinematography of this film are very good it's it's in that sense it's a competently made film 
I think there's some incredibly entertaining action sequences. I think the DB5 bit at the beginning, the actual car chase and the stunt work that goes on in Matera is very well shot, very good. I think the start of the pre-title sequence is something that we just haven't seen before in terms of the horror with the backstory of Madeline and Safin. Um, we haven't seen anything like that before. And, you know, I like to see Bond breaking new ground in, in different genres and that kind of thing. Uh, so that was good as well. The score, Hans Zimmer's score, is a vast improvement from the previous two Thomas Newman scores. I, I love a lot of Matera. I'll talk about this I don't like in a minute. I love the score at the end, Final Ascent, even if I despise what's going on. And there's lots of nice little things in between. It's a good, competent score. And I think, I think I'm going to give it more of a listen outside of the film. But that's about it. After that, I'm sorry, but what, however long I'm going to talk to you now, it, you, it, this is going to be therapy for me. That's all I can say, because I'm just going to have to just get things off my chest. I lasted 8 minutes 21 seconds before I wanted to throw my television out of the window. I, As I said, I quite like the start with Safin and Matilda. I like the first bit of Matera. And then Daniel Craig uses the line, we have all the time in the world, and the music kicks in. It's cheap. That music was written for a specific film over 50 years ago with Bond and his wife. Since then, the only, um, the only relationship Bond's had that's been an equal level to Tracy was the one from, with Vesper from Casino Royale, and she has her own music. We're supposed to believe from the end of Spectre that Bond has run off with Madeline Swan and they've fallen in love. There's no, it's very thin. There's nothing there to prove that. And it just seems like to use that music, to say those words, is just to slap you across the face and say, this is Bond now in love. And it's forcing you to root for this couple. But there's never been any chemistry there. There's never been any chemistry there. It's taking the audience as a joke. And if I'm being honest, that's the problem with this film from start to finish. It takes the audience as a joke. There's bits that I like about it. I like the bit in Jamaica, Bond relaxing. But it spoils every bit that I like with just something that irritates me so badly. Firstly, let's go for the title song and the sequence. I went to the Cue the Music gig recently and they talked about the song. Now, I'm not a massive fan of the song, but that, that's by the by. But it said that this is the first song that is speaking about James Bond's emotions from the past five years. So the lyrics, I've fallen for a lie, you were never on my side. Obviously about Madeline Swan after he's just left her at the train station. The problem is we find out halfway through the story that he hadn't fallen for the lie and she was actually on his side. The whole song is a farce because the script has gone back on what? we initially think and what we're led to believe with it the script in this film is the worst script in any bond film by a country mile i know people say that we've got to erase the mistakes that were made from spectre but i still think spectre's more a missed opportunity the only main error in there is blofeld 
being Bond's brother. The rest are just, oh, it could have been written better. This film makes it one thing after another. How do you write yourself out of the Spectre situation? You, you, the way to do it is to improve Spectre. This film decides to do it the other way and make James Bond's greatest foes a joke who go to a party in Cuba and get poisoned by a gas while talking to Blofeld via a mechanical eyeball. How we were supposed this was an they tried to put this forward for an Oscar nominated film. What were they thinking? There is nothing Oscar worthy about that. It's an utter joke. I know people say that the Cuba scenes are entertaining with Paloma. And actually the fight sequence is very entertaining. She's a great character. But she's like an oasis in the desert. She's that bit of Bond that's fun. Entertaining that we like. When the rest of it around it is either deadly serious or incredibly farcical. Like we've just seen with the bionic eye. Nomi is the worst character in any Bond film. We have had recently... We have had the main one of the main actresses in each film telling us that, oh yeah, this is a really strong female character. And, and this started from Jinx with Halle Berry in Die Another Day. I really worry any time I see somebody saying that in an interview because it's like they're desperate to prove themselves. And Nomi is the worst by far. The first time we see her... Is just to go to Jamaica to rub it in to say that she's the new 007. To warn Bond not to deal with the business. But just to, to rub it in that, he's 007, that she's now 007. The next bit is like, we, you know, when she goes to M's office and she's having a temper tantrum like a schoolgirl. Because Bond goes in there as opposed to her. She's a secret agent. She's got to be professional. And then the worst one is they're going to an island where they're trying to save the world. And she sees it fit to basically tell her boss, can I have permission to give James Bond 007 number again? It's pathetic writing. It's written by schoolchildren. Then we have Felix Leiter's death. This is where the film changes. This is when the film becomes any kind of craziness that was in it beforehand. It becomes depression central. We're supposed to believe that the Felix and Bond relationship is so watertight that only Felix would only ever support Bond. And only ever back Bond and trust him. But the relationship hasn't been built up previously. And Jeffrey Wright, he plays the character very, very well. But... The death of Felix Leiter before the rest of this film is actually the second biggest death in Bond history. Okay, we've had Tracy, but in terms of characters that have been throughout it, M's death in Skyfall was a big one. This is the next one of someone who's been cont a continuous. You know, License to Kill was based on Felix being maimed. Felix is killed here. And it's the fourth biggest film that ha thing that happens in this film. Then we move on to Blofeld. Blofeld is the biggest nemesis and supervillain in James Bond. And yet they use him here as a cameo scene as James Bond's brother. Still rabbiting on about Cuckoo. 
And I'm going to be honest, you know, Craig's decent in this film, but the die blow felt like die line is embarrassing. It is soap opera level acting. And Christoph Waltz has just been such a wasted character. They spent so long. To quote Jurassic Park, to quote Dr. Ian Malcolm, they got so excited of what they could do, they never stopped and thought what they should do. And they should have thought, <laughs> my wife's laughing at me now, probably because I've misquoted that, but because of the anger that's coming through with me as well. They should have thought, how do we sketch this character out? Then we move on to M. Ray Fiennes has been brilliant in the last few films. He's had a personality transplant in this film. We're to believe that he is the creator of the main weapon. He's basically the villain of the piece. And when we get down to it, Bond is saving the world for M's benefit. We then have Safin. Safin is decently played. Decently played by Rami Malek. He has no motivation whatsoever. He A backstory that is incredibly vague. A very, very boring villain. And then we have Matilda. James Bond having a child is still not the biggest thing in this film. This film is a soap opera. It's a soap opera. The only reason Matilda is put in this film is for us to believe more in the relationship that Madeline and Bond, but you can't believe in something that doesn't have natural chemistry. And then we come to the final bit. The death of James Bond is the most misguided decision in cinema history. We watch James Bond to root for him. We watch for escapism to believe that in the midst of a deep, dark, bad world, we can have some fun and enjoy it. We watch James Bond to believe that there is a hero who will save the day and get the girl. He's an aspirational character that we want to be. And as I was looking, a quote in Empire by Barbara Broccoli um, in an interview this week, she was describing what it was like at the premiere. And she said it was incredible at the No Time to Die premiere to hear 4,000 people's breaths and heartbeats going and hear them saying, this can't be happening. And it happened. There's an excitement. She seems to think that this was the right thing to do to kill James Bond. But there's no reason for it. It only can be because it was the way to interactize Daniel Craig back. This film... The main motivation is to give Daniel Craig a send-off. Whereas actually, the Spectre send-off with her, with him and uh, Madeline Swan driving off in an Aston Martin DB5 is actually probably the most significant send-off any Bond actors had previously. It didn't need a film from it. And instead, what we have got is James Bond dead in the 60th year of his film inception. We can't have a film this year to celebrate it. We don't know who James Bond's going to be. We're in limbo. We've got Barbara Broccoli watching Daniel Craig perform Hamlet on um, on Broadway as opposed to looking for a new James Bond. There's no care from the producers on the future of the series. And whilst this is a competently made film, and I know I'm getting incredibly ranty, but it's just because I'm incredibly emotional about it. And I mean this 
I wish this film was never made. I genuinely wish this film was never made. I wish there was 24 films in the James Bond franchise, Eon franchise. And I wish we could have waited a few more years for a new Bond who was aspirational to just take it back to its roots. I was all for Casino Royale. I thought it was a great film. I think Skyfall is a good film. I think Daniel Craig overall has been a good Bond. But where this series has ended up is tragic. And it's utterly tragic that we finish this Bond on the big screen. 25 weeks of just pure joy. We finish with this. You've lost the fans. You've lost the fans. Barbara, Michael, please get your heads out of your backsides. Please. Just take it back to how your dad produced these films. Go back to the basics. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Bring the stunts back. Bring the simple stories back. Bring a character we can root for back. Bring in winning. The world is so depressing. The last thing we need is for our superhero to die. And us to pay £10 to go and see it at the cinema. Please, just go back to the basics. Thanks. Now we are both poisoned with heartbreak. Two heroes in a tragedy of our own making. Anyone we touch... We are their curse. A stroke to their cheek. A kiss. Would kill me instantly. Yes. Madeline. Yes. Matilda.
You made me do this, you see. This was your choice. I cannot believe, Chris, that this journey has come to an end. Now, there's two journeys that have come to an end. The run of 25 James Bond films returning to the big screen, but also our lovely chats after each Daniel Craig film. So that's that's a bit of a shame. I know. It's a sad end to a wonderful run. It's just a shame we have to end with this. And we're just talking about the franchise in general, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> we're talking just as we've had the James Bond 60th anniversary. It's a shame he didn't make it to 60 years. <laughs> Right, we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. Yes. That comes later. If you take out Skyfall and yes. the run of Casino through to No Time to Die, it's possible that it actually makes a bit more sense and it flows a little bit better. You know, you could almost have a quadrilogy of Spectre then. Yeah, it just works a little bit better. Obviously, there are problems, but narratively it flows. It's the same with Sean Connery. If you take out Goldfinger, suddenly you have a very clear spectre run from Dr. No falls into From Rush With Love and then that falls into Thunderball and it's all just spectre. Goldfinger is the odd one out in that run. So, you know, it's mimicking that in a way, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, one, one or two or three films off to off Spectre, of course. But this, this I suppose, is assuming that Quantum was Spectre all along, isn't it? Yes. Which we debated last week. A lot of people point out, rightly, that Quantum is the first ever you know, direct sequel to a Bond film. Isn't it? I know you could say Diamonds, the whole pre-title. They're not really. They're not really. But, it would have been... No, but this is a direct sequel, isn't it? No, no one really says that. How long do you think it's gone by since driving off in the sunset in the Aston Martin to driving in the sunset in Matera. Because, of course, it does say five years later when we get the end of the pre-title sequence, don't we? I think it's a couple of weeks. They drive away. They Yeah, they're in the car at the end of Spectre and they drive away to their little tour around the med and yeah <laughs> and then uh, and then you get the five-year gap so potentially there is five years worth of missions that we don't know about that we don't yeah you know. well the background of the film is a is a massive topic for discussion isn't it with the whole danny boyle coming and going we've since then learned that it wasn't what we thought it was it seems to be him who didn't want Bond to die and they went back to the original idea. We've since heard since the film was released that Daniel Craig suggested the idea back all the way back in, you know, 2005, 2006 when he got the role during Casino Royale. So it's been there a while and obviously Barbara didn't think Spectre was a satisfactory ending for her man. So she wanted to sort of put that right. When you saw Spectre and that ending, did you think, well that's it, isn't it? That's that's the end of the story, the Daniel Craig story is Bond. Yes, it was a neat bow, and certainly after the sort of disappointment of Spectre as well, you were like, right, that's it, move on. There's always the Spectre of him coming back because of, you know, just waving enough money under his nose. He'll come back, just like Roger Moore and Cubby. Roger couldn't resist the bigger paycheck, so he just came back again and again. When you watched it at the cinema, Chris, did you know what was going to happen? Did you have any idea? Because there were leaked photos of a little girl. It was obviously we knew Blofeld was back, but the main sort of 
twist endings, you might say. Were you aware of that at all? So I had gone through all of lockdown, avoiding any details, avoiding as much as possible. Obviously, you see the character posters, so you know that Madeline's back in it. And then it's like, okay, I can deal with that. That's fine. And I'd gone through not knowing, avoiding everything. And then it was my birthday and during lockdown. So I went to my parents' house and sort of stood at the end of their pathway and they sang and sort of gave gifts and that sort of thing. And we were chatting away. And then mother said, oh, have you seen on the news? They're talking about James Bond. He's got a little girl. And I could have absolutely flipped because she had no clue what she was saying. But, you know, thought she was kind and interested in in an interest. But, yeah, just blew it. And I thought, you know what? It could just be chatter. It could just be gossip. And it's not really true. Obviously, then it turned out to be true. But, yeah, that was the one sort of shattered resolution. I had no idea about the ending and how it actually ends. And very pleased that I went into the cinema like that not knowing I managed to avoid everything that is really good I know we we spoke to David recently David licensed queer and he it was ruined to him by his auntie just before they went into the film because <laughs> I think they booked, they booked a family cinema and they? they rented out a screen oh dear me oh, poor he, he said it was still very emotional but poor boy sort of, <laughs> but, but it, you could say though Having watched it again, okay, this week at the cinema, I saw it twice at the cinema when it came out, and I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it on the small screen. I made that gag before. I wonder what it's like on the small screen. Anyway, so I saw it again this week. The things I'm looking for are: is it signposted? And of course, we have all the time in the world. The line is is one of the first lines in the film, isn't it, by Daniel Craig? You see, so there's that tragedy, and there's that, and actually on the documentary. The Sound of 007, which I've also seen. Daniel Craig wanted that song in, and it is effectively, here we go again. Yeah, and now, when I was in the cinema, he said that line, and I thought, oh, they're going to kill her off. Right, her, okay. And whether it comes now and we get a different Bond girl, or whether it comes at the end and he loses another love. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Then when they start playing the music... I'm like, ah, leaning too much, I think, on past glories. But I went with it, and then it was signposted, but I misread it as her, not him. Yeah, and I I think there were, I suppose that was part of the intention, wasn't it? And, or you could say it was signposted that, oh, well, the last time that happened, she died. So obviously that's not going to happen again. This is his perfect. But then we know from the trailer that something's gone wrong because, you know, she was, when they meet again in the, in Belmarsh, I was always thinking, oh, right, well, something wrong's... We knew that something wrong would happen. Anyway, yeah. And then, of course, the signposting about the, the hand on the stomach for the for the pregnancy. Again, which I missed first time watching, and it was only on the rewatch where I noticed it. I was like, oh, okay, that's there. Yeah, that's good. I can I can deal with that. I missed, I missed so much on the first viewing. I went to the IMAX in Waterloo on the opening night with a couple of Bond friends, James and Jamie, just was overwhelmed by it and just took it all in, but didn't actually see these signposts. Like there was a lot of plot points later on, which I missed completely and only picked up on when I'm watching it at home on the little big screen. So have you seen, how many times did you see at the cinema, Chris? Then? I just saw it the once at the cinema because I was so... Wow, and you see, this is the first time you've seen it again. I saw it... Well, I saw it on the opening night and then was given it as Blu-ray for Christmas because it came out very, very quickly that Christmas, didn't it? Yeah, it did, didn't it? My husband 
was so outraged that I didn't take him to the cinema to see it. It was like, right, okay, we'll do this as a Christmas viewing together. We watched it. And that's when I picked up on so much more of the little details. But then I haven't seen it since then until Saturday, just gone, when a couple of friends came over, my dear friend Rich and uh, JP, and we sort of group support went through it together. What's changed in a year then? What's what's happened? And well, I have you have you wait and <laughs> I couldn't tell. Chris. <laughs> what's changed? It's the bits that I like before. I like more now, and the bits that I don't like, I still really get angry and frustrated at. Felix, I still wept. Oh, it's so. Let's just go straight to that scene, if we may. Yeah, please do. Please do. Even though he's had limited amount of screen time. Their chemistry together is really, really good. He's given that extra scene in the bar at Jamaica and they're playing that game together. So you know they've got this sort of familiarity and this history. Well, we know he does because they go back to Casino Royale together. Even when it suddenly happens and he's shot and then there's the fight and the escape and they're down in the engine room together, the banter is still there and the emotional connection, you know, even makes that joke of, but Felix, you're from Milwaukee. What's going to... Yeah, yeah. It did it just at first I was thinking, is that because he's lost he's losing his mind a bit because he's losing lots of blood? But I assume it's because he's got a cover story, isn't it? And he wants to tell him a bit like Mathis, is that right? No, no. Is Mathis a real man? I, th- I, I I wouldn't put it on the same par as Mathis. I think Mathis is an enigma. He is a mystery of you know, he has different names and different backgrounds and all of that sort of thing. But with Felix, he is CIA. He is oh, a yeah. loyal friend. This is him. But I think in those last few moments, they are still joshing together. And, you know, you know that when someone is injured, you've got to try and keep them conscious, keep their spirits up, keep it, you know, keep the life going. And that's how they're doing it together. And just when he turns to him and he says, let me go. And even when he says about, it's a good life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting emotional now. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I genuinely think, I think talking about it with you now and watching it at the time, I do think that's one of the best things that happened in the film. Because if this is brilliant, Chris. If you think about it in Casino Royale and Quantum, I mean, we get 10 minutes, do we? Maybe 10 minutes of screen time from him. And a lot of that in Quantum is with, with Beam, isn't it? And and all sat, okay, sat at the table for a long time in Casino, but the actual interaction, it is genius to somehow with what little you've got, create some kind of friendship. But this was the best, definitely the best pairing of these two by a mile. And, and I love those scenes at the club in Jamaica. I think it, it's natural chemistry and natural friendship between them and an understanding. And you know that stuff's gone on in between, like they've been on missions and they've helped each other. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is a hugely talented performer and he's created this supporting character into so much more and really, you know, is to be lauded for what he has done. It's really, really yeah. good. And yeah, it got me every time I watched it. At the cinema, I was weeping. And then these two times, uh, it's just, it's great. And then when he gets his comeuppance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a nice bookended bit, isn't it? And it's obviously owing a bit to Fury's Eyes Only with Locke, isn't it? But it, we're talking about the death of Nash. Nash, yeah. The Mormon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a few gags, aren't there? There are. The Phoebe Waller-Bridge gags, I assume. The, who's the blonde? But uh, uh, the who's the blonde gag is good because it, it's clearly a dig at the fact... 
at the people who didn't like him because he was blocked, yes, isn't it? Yes. I think so. So that was nice. And, and Nomi as well. What, what do you think about Nomi? Nomi's really good. Um, <laughs> good rock. I think she's almost not given enough to do. And then she's kind of falters a little bit when she's kind of too obsessed with keeping yeah. her 007 status. And then when she... To, and that's only to kind of build up to give him back his 00 status number at the end and have a bit of emotional, I don't know, texture or something which is a bit too heavy-handed, but cancel that out. She is phenomenal. And if they were ever going to do a spin-off, she could she could handle it. She would be great. So not Paloma for the spin-off. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't say that. You have to officially endorse a Paloma spin-off, Chris. No, I where's my notes? <laughs> Paloma is terrific. Best Bond girl for a long while. And I've put her quote, next time, stay longer. And yeah, that is yeah, yeah. what I would say to her. Next time, stay longer. We love you. You're great. Let's have some more. I'm of the opinion that they can't. Even if he'd retired to the, into the sunset with Madeleine and he was meant to have never become back as a secret agent, I could easily buy having M, Q, you know, Money Penny, Paloma, whoever, know me. I could easily have them again. Well, Felix has got to come it, back, doesn't he? So... Uh, no, because de- if you're dead, I'm sorry. If you're dead, you're dead. You can't. If you're dead, you're dead. And I don't mean, obviously now they can do just a total reboot. And that's what Barbara said in her recent interview. Yeah. Use that word. Well, what is it? Why is that a bad thing? Just tell me. I'm not, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm not. You see, my problem is with this, that they've pressed the reboot button at the beginning with Casino Royale, yet they kept Judy Dench as M. Yeah. And yeah. then as things evolved, as we've spoken about previously, he wins the DB5 in a game of cards and then suddenly, a couple of films later, it's got all of the gadgets from Goldfinger in it. And then Inspector, no, in No Time to Die, sorry, he's got the Aston Martin Vantage from The Living Daylights. And it's, where is this reboot starting, ending? You know, they've muddied the waters so much. I think it's perfectly acceptable from their recent history if we get a new Bond, but we keep Ray finds as M. You bring back Felix. I say bring back Felix. You just have a new Felix. There's no. You can't have Jeffrey Wright, can you now? You can't. You can't have Jeffrey Wright, I guess. But then there's history in having lots of different Felixes, anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. But I think you could bring back Paloma, and as long as they she doesn't say anything like "Oh, you you look like you've changed" or something like that, then just just go with it. It's as we've said before. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has a lot, has to carry a lot of blame for this yeah. cinematic world and that's then true. trying that's to create true. this cinematic world with Bond. It's it, just go with it. And I, even M, you know, it, I love Ray Fiennes as M and I, I wanted him to stay for a long, long time, but. Yeah. Even if you discount the fact that Bond's dead, he's cut, he must be sacked. He must go to prison after this, must he? <laughs> he keeps happy. At least he'll be in, a, in a, another blessed inquiry. It'll be another bloody yeah. inquiry. <laughs> <laughs> Third in a row. <laughs> it's such a shame because, and Q was really, you know, I, I, I objected to the original scene because of the gag about the pen and I got really annoyed at that. But with hindsight, I think the guy is a great character and it's a, it's a great new twist on, on Q because what you can't do is just copy Desmond and no. just have another old guy. It's it fits in with the generation we're in that the youngsters know far about 
far more about technology than we do, and that's and that's great. But by the end, I, I said in I think I've said as soon as I left the cinema this time. Never mind the Hans Zimmer score. Never mind Madeline crying. Q's Q's. T- sort of conversation with Bond at the last minute is what got me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. I'll put I'll put her onto you now. You know, like he's, he's like he puts Bond's feelings first, and he he he, he shows everything. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, yeah. It's got to it's got to be up there. It's it's yeah. So Chris writes. Do you want to go through the? Film? Do you want to quickly go through the film? Let's go through what we can. Yeah, and what's good and what's bad as well. Right. So no blood in the gun barrel. Straight into and and merging in from the Universal logo. I mean, what? <laughs> Dear me. And then I, I know, again, with like the Skyfall, it's because of the aesthetic, they'll say. But you can see trees on the floor with the snow. So it doesn't it doesn't go from white to white. You know, It's just, it's unnecessary, yeah. in my opinion. They might as well have done it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll annoy more people in not putting the blood there. Than... Yeah, I know what you mean. And then Madeline's mother laid out on the no sofa blood. laid out on the sofa no with blood. pills and booze I mean if that's not a party for one I don't know what yeah but she's like Patsy's mother from Abfab <laughs> <laughs> is that they were watching an episode of Absolutely Fabulous and it was like yep that's Madeline's mum <laughs> <laughs> did we get her name no she's just drunk woman on the sofa I think she's... yeah so this is in we this must be the Norway. It's the same house, isn't it? It's the same house. Go to it's later. the same house we see later. Which I hadn't thought of before, but how odd that Madeline wants to go back to the house where her mum was murdered. Where it, where <laughs> it all sort of... happens, where all of this <laughs> And Surely it would have been, I don't know, something would have happened to the house after all this and the, the secret room is still there. You know, there would have been a police would have been sort Anyway, anyway. The, I don't mind about stuff like that in cinematic terms, to be fair. Now, we do get a very good callback because the gun is under the sink, as Madeline described yeah, in yeah. previous film. But then to have the sort of the spectre ring just sitting on the side in the secret room is a bit of a, a forced a forced reference, yeah. I think. Um, I suppose, again, though, you could say the, the audience can't remember a conversation on a train seven years ago, can they? So the casual audience, I mean, so they've got to no. they've got to put it in your face a bit. And it's a flashback, not involving Bond. The audience are already off guard. Like, what on earth is this about? Yeah, we and and it's not in the sort of traditional Bond film mode because it is taking so much from almost horror film. It's a horror, yeah, it is. You know, when he looks through that window, the sudden jolt of seeing him, and then he has that really slow walk down the corridor, and then looks through the glass window, is really suspenseful and quite frightening. Yeah. In, if you really think about it, but then also it's slightly ruined by the fact that you remember those situations where your grandmother has those doors in the kitchen with the veined glass. <laughs> it's like, why is he yeah, looking through my grandma's door? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's an, that see. old sort of seventies window. Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. So it just, yeah, it really dates it. And said, so, well, saying about dating it. Young Madeline's got a little Tamagotchi. Yeah, I mean, talk about Morrison early nineties period sort of yeah. detail. It's brilliant, yeah. but and then- so just on this, I, I, another thing I thought of was that okay, he's been built up. He's a really scary baddie. He does look, he, he does look pretty, pretty scary, and it is a scary scene. But then he's instantly shot by a child. So you know, it's like, oh, he's not very good. <laughs> It's very Michael Myers, isn't it? What she's there, and she's got it done. No good. She's taking care of business. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, yeah, that's good. It's good for that. But there's no, there's no blood. There's no, you know, when she shoots him on the floor, there's no blood for her mother, even though she's machine gun to death. Well, it can't be. The only blood 
It's when he's being dragged on the ice. But what is he? Is it supernatural? I mean, it's just why does he suddenly revive? It's so weird. It suddenly it's revived. So weirdly done. And then actually say yeah. about on the ice. So she's run out onto the ice and fallen through. Then yeah. he runs out on. He goes out onto the ice as well. Yeah. What he's suddenly lighter than she is. <laughs> it's supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> And that and that is really weird. The I know. Sorry, I'm I'm taking over here, but he sh- he basically just shoots at her. It looks like he's trying to kill her because the bullets go just dodge her. Luckily, yeah. and then he saves her. Like what? I don't. What we meant to think that he was trying to kill her, but he was so rubbish that oh, I must. It must be fate that I don't kill her. Yeah, I'll save her. And then we don't. And then we I- never find out. What happens? So what was the point of it, honestly? And then time jump yeah, out of yeah. the water. And it's a neat little time jump. I like it. It's a good good yes. cut. Yeah. And then suddenly we're in the Aston Martin. I would question, is Bond drunk? Because that wide shot, he is on both sides of the road going around a blind yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the material sequence is, is really well filmed, isn't it? It is really good. It's really good. All of the, the getting to the hotel, a little bit of nookie, and then, yeah, it's great. And a good suit when he goes to the graveyard. It's a good look. Great sound design as well when they bang and you just get all of the... Yes, yeah. he survived, so... Yeah. Blowfeld fails again. Well, <laughs> quel surprise. <laughs> Although, if if it was, was his intention for... Him to think Madeline had betrayed him. What? That only happened. Oh, you think he he's? Survived. Do you think he's torturing him, or do you think he actually is just a failed assassination? I don't know. Uh, there's so many open-ended questions in this. So yeah, I've no idea. But that but Bond blames her, doesn't he? And he does. I don't know whether he. It's like I can't face this trust issue again. It doesn't necessarily mean Madeline is definitely in on it. It's just he's still n- not over Vesper, and he can't deal with trust. That's yeah. that's what we're meant to think, is it? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's awful to see where they're being shot at, and he will not. You know, it's all yeah, it's all teasing and tormenting, especially sort of when the flower, well, at the flowers at the grave, and you've got the little card with the spectre on it. Yeah, has it got the octopus on it? I can't remember. <sighs> I can't remember if I'm honest. If it has, but it, that might have been there for years, though. You see, I don't know because the flowers are died haven't they? i mean i'm more concerned with their stationery you know if they're having little cards yeah, made yeah. up like with a little embossed what else have they got sort of postcards and letters and <laughs> headed yeah. headed paper that's not very good for a secret organization are you no it isn't no <laughs> you just imagine Blofeld, we're running out of uh, a5 headed paper we need to go and get some more printing <laughs> okay so who's that boy in primo work for them so that boy and Primo work for Blofeld. So they, they must be there just in case he doesn't kill him. Well, yeah, just as, or maybe they were there to set it up because they knew Bond was going yeah. there or what, you know, whatever. And then when when Primo sort of gets that thing on the bike and his eye pops out yeah. and Bond looks at it, why doesn't he grab the eye? It's this thing that's yeah. come out of this guy's head and it's sort of done a little trick and a boop, ex- expanding and he doesn't pick yeah. it up. What's the... What? No. And is that eye nothing to do with Blofeld's eye? It's not like he transfers it to him or something. The two separate eyes, are they? The- yeah, it's not explained how Blofeld gets his... Is the bionic eye at the end in him at the end of Spectre? Or... Oh, yeah. I suppose it must have been. Must it have must have been. It. So that bionic eye must already be connected to Blofeld. But there's footage later that Q's looking at, and it is... 
isn't it primo meeting blondie yeah no uh yeah blondie i keep forgetting his name now La- logan ash so but what isn't that primo though that is so primo's so put the eye so back in and he's still recording but so primo's or somebody's been visiting Blofeld at prison and swapping eyes with him. I think... <laughs> I don't. I, I give up. I, I can't. Unless there's a satellite on it or something, I don't. I think this is all... It's all too confusing. Like a lot of this film, it's all too confusing. It's... If we jump to forward to Cuba, it's all too confusing. Mm. The whole killing Spectre agents. And then you think Bond's going to get it, but it's not. It's them. And then why do certain people die and others don't? And then how does the scientist... Obrachev. Obrachev has got the swapping over of the little hard drive thing. And then it's like, okay, who's he actually working with them? Because you get that in the phone call earlier. And it's it's really... It's confusing. It's one thing to be complicated. That's fine. Yeah. Because then you Multiple. want to work it out. But just to be confusing is not. Because yeah. then you lose the audience. The fans hate it. You can tell, well, I don't really like it. And... <laughs> It's just a mess. Yeah. It's just a mess. I do. I, oh, I'm. I'm getting annoyed just talking. Maybe I should stop talking about it. It's. It's winding me up now. <laughs> it's so confusing, though, isn't it? There's. I mean, the the stuff with Madeline and the perfume and all that. Why didn't she tell everybody? Yeah. I don't. I don't why, understand. I don't. Why does she feel indebted to him to go through with this and kill Blofeld yeah. when she's in the clear? If she'd have turned around and said, "This guy's yeah. come to me with this." Here's the poison that M's trying to hide and yeah. what? And she's already got motivation to kill Blofeld, I assume, because her dad's been killed as a result of working for him. She's, you know, gone or run away with Bond, who obviously is the is is Bond's stepbrother. So she's probably been informed about all that on the on the, the five week journey or two week journey. We decided. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such. I know. I know we're picking holes, and we know Octopussy and Living Daylights and some of our favourite films don't quite make sense and they're very very difficult to follow but the motivations we know they're unchanged we know who the baddies are we know who the goodies are we know what bond has to do there's no melodrama in the middle of it yeah. because if if you're going to have a bond film with a he's a kid you know that's bigger than anything that's happened before and him dying and a flashback and all this you can't for me introduce, yeah you can't have the whole Blofeld merging with Safin or going against each other. I just... Yeah, and but even with Primo, yeah. fair enough, he's on Spectre's side. That's very clear all the way through. And then, as you say, Q watches that clip where he meets up with Blondie. But the actual dialogue that is spoken there, that Logan Ash says, oh, you know who I represent, I've got an offer for you. And that's the point where he turns to Safin. Yeah. I completely miss that in the cinema. So I'm watching the end sequence and I'm being like, well, what's he doing fighting against, fighting for him when he killed... We still don't know why he turned, though, do we? He just got a job offer, I'm guessing, and... Like yours. Yeah, loyalty's changed. (laughs) 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 That's what it was. Safin got the henchman hotline number from Drax. It was like, (laughs) so about finding a replacement for Chang. uh... (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, you can get him. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's good though. I do like Primo. I didn't know he was in it until I watched the film. So that he's, he has a bit more screen time than I remembered because he's there overseeing the raid on you know the, the Canary Wharf type building at the beginning as well. Yep, he's he's and that's a good he's thing. a significant uh, henchman, yeah. which is uh, yeah. which is really good. I just wish they could have had more of a fight at the end. It's just like a few little strangles and then the gag. Yeah, there's no fist fight is good in the pre-title. 
They could have had another one of them. But I guess the fist fight in that is that it's more of the long shot, isn't it? It's that continuous shot up the stairs. And if it had been just yeah. those two fighting up the stairs, then it would have really been, okay, this yeah. is a satisfying yeah. end to his character. Uh, whereas he just, as you say, he suddenly bursts out of a door, I think, and they grapple, yeah. and then he lets off the uh, EMP. It's not really, yeah, it's not really enough. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to give up on actually going through step by step because it's just all of these notes just make me angry and upset. And ultimately, I don't want to feel that way again. When the film ended and they drive off into the tunnel, I just sat there empty listening to the music being like, I just, it's, it's not what i want from a bond film i know a lot of people like it and i can respect their opinion but it doesn't mean i have to agree with them and it's just not it's not what i want other than james bond will return i mean which just mean could mean anything you know it's just a, they just put it there at the end and we know they've had they've had no plan they still don't have a plan or anything it feels like it's the end of the character for me yeah it really doesn't that that sound of 007 documentary even i can't remember who one of the people at the end it was almost saying that you know this is it this felt like this was the end <laughs> i know it isn't but it's just to get off the subject of the film and talk about the franchise as a whole barbara and michael are playing their cards so close to their chest at the moment and with everyone being on board with the 60th celebrations give us something to look forward to give us give us a little tease of something for the future and they're not and it's just really eroding it feels terrible that there's not a it would have been great this weekend at some point heck at the royal albert hall when they're having the the big do they were there and it would have been great if they'd have said oh thank you all for coming blah blah blah, blah. over in that box is uh yeah. actor whoever he's our man and then at least you would have had that big announcement in front of the huge crowd everyone would have gone crazy it would oh. have made the news then we would have had some and then we would have had something to look forward to to the future and then it would have been a case of okay in two years we're going to get the next film but we know who bond is now and that it's going to go in this direction yeah. and we didn't all we got was an interview with the bbc oh it's a reset we got to have a think about it we don't know we got a t someone young we want to tie him in for 10 years we got to talk to purvis and wade head <laughs> and plan out what's going to happen i am almost worried that michael and barbara they're getting on a little bit you know michael certainly yeah. is uh in his senior years to put it politely. I wonder if they even, do they want to do it anymore? Do they know what to do anymore? I don't know. Let's be honest, okay. So they thought Spectre might have been Daniel's last one. And then he definitely returned for one final one, didn't he? That that was, uh, and it was only really much, pretty much agreed that he would return, it seems like, if he died, if the character died. So I think that takes us back to 2018, yeah. even earlier, when they knew that this was the end of this character and they would have to reboot it. It's four years ago now. What were they doing in, in the whole COVID? During period? lockdown, Perfect were they time. not thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and they've had a year since it's come out. And to think that 
could be so unsentimental, you know, just as soon as Sean is out of the door, right, next one, come on, get on with it. A workaholic. And yeah. He knew what the people it's... wanted. And now, yeah, we don't know which direction it is going in and we don't know we don't know what's well, they next. Don't know. Well, we do know. All we know is that Purvis and Wade are being consulted yeah. for so the next it film. It so. won't be. If they have their say, it's not going to be just another Bond film, is yeah. it? We know that it's going to be a personal mission with leftover ideas from other scripts, which has happened in every single... You know, like the, the, M, I, the M thing in this one, Hercules, sorry, Heracles, yeah. that is from another an idea that was going to be Inspector, isn't it? We know that. Yeah, it's... It's just hopeless. It's almost... If I if I may get a little bit too highbrow and uh, <laughs> maybe a bit... Oh, no. A no. bit pretentious. No. It's reminding me of one of my... <laughs> One of my favourite poems, The Clattering Train by Edwin J. Milken. Who is in charge of the clattering train? The axles creep and the coupling strain. It's like this. What's All of this stuff is going on around us and the celebrations, all the last film. But what is going on next? Yeah. Who is in charge? Classic distraction technique. Yeah. Isn't it? I don't even think it's done deliberately. I think a lot of these events... I don't, I don't. I doubt that Michael and Barbara have been like, "Oh yeah, what should we do for the 60th? It'll have been people have said, "We better do something." What, what should we do? And then they'll have said, "Yeah, okay, yeah." I, I really, I, I don't think they're being pro. I mean, she's more interested in the Macbeth run, isn't she, with, with Daniel Craig at the moment? Yeah. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment. If No Time to Die had come out when it was supposed to come out three years ago, yeah, it would have happened back then. We would have realised, okay, Bond has died. We would have had our time of morning and then doing the reset and the 60th still would have been here but maybe we would have already had a new bond sorted out yeah you are right because this is not meant to be an anniversary bond film you know like how die another day and skyfall were a bit weren't yeah. they? this was meant to come out in 2019 so all the nods to honor majesties not i suppose it, i suppose it was filmed 50 years after honor majesties so there is that there is that but all the sort of homages and things that there are, there are a few in it. They're nothing to do with it being the 60th or anywhere near that. And I know it was in the 59th year, but that it did finally come out. Yeah, you're you're right. This is not a film to have <laughs> found ourselves at the 60th on. No. It's almost timings wise, we should have a new Bond and a new Bond film now for this. Yeah, and it's down to. COVID, lockdown, quarantine, all the rest of it, that has meant we've been bumped along mm. and this is the position we find ourselves in. James. Madeline. I'm here. Where are you? Is it done? James. Yes, yes, he's, he's dead. Are you both there? Yes. Good. You're safe. That's good. Have you left? No, um, I'm not going to make it. What? No. Are you promised? Madeline. Just get off that island. I know you can do this. Everything's good now. There's no one left to hurt. Madeline. You have made the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. She's perfect. Vicky. 
guess she came from you. Any sort of more positive thoughts of the film? <laughs> I don't want you to have to go back to your notes now. I'm going back to my notes. <laughs> going back to my notes. The good bit that, apart from obviously Cuba and Paloma, who we've mentioned, is phenomenal. But the misty pine forest chase, the whole car sequence beforehand, I would question should they have taken his Aston Martin or should they have taken her Toyota Land Cruiser? You know, <laughs> maybe get in the Aston and get the hell out of there. But this forest sequence, we're in the, as I say, the misty pine forest of Endor. It's. Yeah, Whatever yeah. <laughs> you do, stay out of the long grass. You know, there's that shot of them just through the, the ferns and it's yeah. all just twitching and it's all wonderful. And yeah. obviously the Land Rovers come through, he flips them over and Blondie gets his comeuppance. Yes, it's a wonderful little nod to uh, For Your Eyes Only. It's a shame he pushed the car as opposed to kicking it. I think that would have been just that little detail extra would have made yeah. it perfect. But then... Madeline's there. She shoots one of the assailants. Madeline doesn't like yeah, guns. Does. Hang on a second. What's yeah, yeah. That whole sequence, I think, is really, really good and doesn't get as much of an attention as it should. Especially when the Land Rover sort of comes along and it he it hits the wire and then it flips over. Bond yeah. is still shooting it as it sort of careens over. That little one shot is a really, really well framed sort of moment other good bits i mean they are really few and far between i really liked that they put in m's quote from you only live twice the book in his obituary yeah. Yeah. which was originally taken from jack london i will use my time 
I can't remember the quote exactly off the top of my head. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> it sums up Bond so well. Yeah, I will not waste my days by prolonging them. I will use my time. And he's a man of action, and it's all about getting on. Just the scene of them with the whiskey glass is, is great. Very hard to know what to say, but I thought we should gather and remember. And I, I thought this was appropriate. The function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. To James. 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 Right. Back to work. And then it all goes downhill again because you get <laughs> Louis Armstrong. There's not long left. Which is a terrible, terrible waste putting it at the end of the film like that. It's a, it's the crown jewel musically and emotionally for the Bond film. We have all the time in the world, and it's stuck on the end like that. I just, yeah. What would John Barry have thought? That's a horrible question. Oh, <laughs> I dread to think. I dread to think. What's your high point? I, you know, we've both, it we've sounds both beaten up on this film. Well, it sounds weird, but even, like I said, I saw it twice at the cinema. I haven't seen it since. It seemed so in my brain, everything, and there wasn't anything new that I got from it. It did seem to be the same. It's a good cinema experience, and I think if we weren't invested in it, like one of my good mates, Ian, he he's a casual viewer. He doesn't really care about Bond. He was like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed the new Bond film. And I was like, okay, yeah, did, what, what about the ending, like? Oh yeah, I didn't. it was fine. Yeah, I think in this sort of <laughs> in this sort of new wave of cinema trends, I do think a lot of it does seem like a superhero film. And there's loads of genres in here. Yeah, there's loads of sci-fi in it. It, it really is not grounded at all, is it? Really, it's not science fiction. Science. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Cubby. Yeah. I don't mind all that though. I don't mind that silliness. Yeah, just if you're trying to mix that with a deadly serious I have loved you and all this stuff. It's a clash, isn't it? To and then I do think that song at the end is beating you over the head if you weren't already you've been <laughs> beaten into submission with these not too subtle you know, we oh we need more time and yeah. oh, do you what do you think about the final moments of Bond's life? If you had to kill Bond, could they not have done it better? I think they absolutely could have done it better. And I think the whole the whole end sequence is bungled completely. I don't mind that it is self-sacrifice. If anything, that is the noblest way for him to go. But just the manner in which it's done him just standing there i would have preferred if there had been a fight in the control room and something about the controls was damaged and it meant that he had to stay there keeping the Amazing. doors open with that pulling that lever yeah. down keeping the doors open and that he then died in the explosion that way that would have been a bit more sacrifice a more obvious sacrifice i remember at the time after watching it at the cinema i then watched star trek 2 the Wrath of oh Arms. yes which, again, I'll admit, every time I watch that and I'm sort of invested, when I hear Scotty playing the bad pipes, I weep. It oh. just, and that is 
a clear lesson in how to kill a main character and absolutely land it. That sacrifice for the good of the many, it just drives home. And then you get that emotional connection of friendship between the two of them, the love between the two of them. That's how you kill a main character. Especially Bond, that's how he should go, saving the world. Of course it is. We said at the beginning, it's too confusing. That like the fact that he's di- he's got he's bleeding anyway because he's been shot to shit hasn't he by Saffin? Yes, yes, he's taken so to the chest. Anyway. So he could he he do, he manages to get on top of the roof. So you're thinking, well, just just roll down the hill. You've done you know you've done the bit we said the Mayday bit. Never mind the whole. Could he not have at least stayed alive to see whether there's a cure? What's why did why did the bombs have to be done so quickly when? The whole place had pretty much finished. Everyone had fled. The boats were turning away. Well, they what, had to. What urgent? They had to disturb. No, they had to destroy the lagoon. So it was whatever. Not that urgent. Would it? I mean, the the, the the various people on the boats seeing all these explosions and everyone fleeing. They're not going to go quick. We need this now. <laughs> they're going to be like, right, no, no, turn back, turn back, turn back. Turn back. <laughs> and they're on shit. The slowest, you know, form of transport. Anyway, just. Do it simple, for goodness' sake! Look, you're getting wound up now. Let's, yeah, let's, let's. That, but I, I would never have killed Bond, and that that isn't because I'm a massive traditionalist. I just it relegates the previous twenty four for me yeah. in a way because the whole point of Bond is that he, you know, he, the jeopardy is you know, even though you know he's going to get out of any situation, it's how is he going to do it? Yeah. What new gadgets are he going to use? What amazing sort of trick is he going to play in the villains? And it. And that's that's gone. It's gone. It just you, they just run out of puff. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> oh, but I can appreciate some people like it, and it is an epically done finale. The music and the performances and everything. It's huge. It's yeah, cinematic on the greatest scale. It's mm. just not what I wanted. Oh dear, Chris. We're bringing to a close our little run of Craig films. I'm just sad that it's had to end on a downer like this. And the whole 60th anniversary run has to end on a downer like this. If you'd have been with us from dot to no to... Well, you you were on Down of the Day, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least until The World Is Not Enough, maybe. Yeah. Then there was far less complaining and getting depressed and questioning everything then. It was just a joy. I suppose, to be fair, in the Craig's defence... That's partly because we've all seen them at the cinema, haven't yes. we? Not yes. that long it's, ago. And just seeing Doctor No on the on the crystal clear big screen, it's just it's a, world a sight to behold. They do have that advantage on them. But the films which you go into, it doesn't matter whether you've seen any Bond film before or whether you've seen it a million times, you enjoy it. You leave you leave the film totally satisfied, totally positive. And it, even I include Honor Majesties on that. Because yeah. unpopular opinion, but I love how it goes into the Bond theme because that means, don't worry, guys, he's back. He's, he's going to be back. Yeah, I completely agree. And of course, John Barry wanted to save We Have All the Time in the World for No Time to Die. That was his legacy. I seriously doubt he wrote that in his will. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I put money no. on it. But yeah, and, that, and that's where we are. I don't know about you, but suddenly Never Say Never Again is looking very tempting. Well, it was on at the Prince Charles, wasn't it? And so was David's beloved Casino Royale 67. Yeah, that's so, a... Uh, yeah, we won't get to see them on the big screen, so... That, that's, a, that's a specialist taste, should we call it. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the end, because we're going to have a big discussion soon on our overall experience of seeing Bond back on the big screen. And we're going to have loads of contributors who've been on over these last... 
it's been half a year. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Loads of people have joined us. We didn't, when we started with Dr. No, we didn't know whether anyone would join us. We've ended up with just so many people that it's it's been fantastic. Yeah. And we're going to share all those experiences together. Chris will be there. Loads of the Real 007 team will be there. And we're, we're looking forward to, to having you as our guest. So sorry, Chris, to end on a downer tonight, but we will be having a bit more positive thoughts next yeah. time. It's not the end. The epilogue is still to come. Yes. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I'm going to go and watch Mission Impossible. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> I did. I'm going to tell you a story. About a man. His name was Bond. James Bond. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.